Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. We are on the Compliance Podcast Network. I am so excited for today's episode for a number of reasons, but two in particular. The main one is that Dr. Patricia Harnett, the CEO of the Ethics and Compliance Institute, also I'll call it ECI, is one of the women who built this field into what it is today. The second is that this discussion comes after the ECI Impact Conference and the release of the Global Business Ethics Trend Trends Report. And both of these have provided some great insight into various areas. I attended Impact. It was the first time I've been there. I learned so much. I'm still processing what I've learned there. And I am so excited to get the opportunity to talk about that and some of the trends from the Trends Report. In fact, we have so much to discuss here. This is a two-part series. Um, The first is to discuss Pat's journey to leading ECI, where they are now, and what's on her mind from that standpoint. And here's a little spoiler alert for the second part. We're going to discuss one of the parts of the conference that was particularly interesting to me, which was about raising concerns and about retaliation. So with that, Dr. Harnett, thank you so much for being here. And could you just talk a little bit about your background, how you got into compliance and to ECI and your role as as the um, CEO there? Well, first of all, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I have been a big fan of your podcast series and the work that you and Mary are doing. So it's a pleasure for me to to be able to join you. Um, And please just call me Pat as we have our conversation. Um, Just a, a little bit about how I managed to get into this field, I actually didn't really plan to get into ethics and compliance. In fact, I'm probably like most people in our industry, it wasn't exactly my career path. I had actually been in the field of education um, and had these great plans to rise up in higher education administration and Um, Very long story short, through a series of experiences I had working in higher ed, I became interested in how people learn a sense of ethics. So I actually focused my PhD on the impact of organizations on character development in individuals. And so I had been working in the field of character education and came to what was then called the Ethics Resource Center um, at the time to start a character ed program at outreach to secondary schools because the ERC was working mostly with businesses on ethics and compliance program work, but they wanted to somehow impact the next generation of workers. So I arrived at ERC with one focus and it wasn't too long before I got more involved in the business work we do and Um, through a series of just lots of things happened in our organization, took over leadership in 2004 and have just been um, involved a fair amount more in the business work that we do than even the education work these days. But it's been a very fun journey for me. So, So then ERC became eventually ECI? Is that-, that is right. So we were ERC until uh, 2015 when we created a 
a strategic alliance with the organization that was at the time the Ethics and Compliance Officer Association. So the two nonprofits aligned with each other. One is a 501c3, the other is a 501c6, which just basically meant we couldn't merge them. We we aligned them together. And because we have two nonprofits that work together, we adopted the name of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative um, to be the public name that represents both organizations. Okay. Well, that makes sense. One of the questions about that is, I mean, being a woman, how did that impact this journey of yours? And especially if you're from one organization that merges to another. When I was coming into the ethics and compliance industry, I I was coming from education that was very much um, dominated by women. More women are in education than men at the time, at least. Um, And in the business ethics field, and and at the time, it was more business ethics than ethics and compliance. The compliance part came much later. You know, I I was arriving in this field around 1999, 2000. Um, And one of the things I noticed right away was that there were not a lot of women in leadership roles in our industry. And I'm not so sure that my being female was a was a strategic or intentional thing that impacted my own career path, but it certainly made it clear to me that I needed to connect with some women in in our field who were at the time just you know a handful of women who were both founding what is now our industry, but also just became great exemplars and mentors and friends to me, women like you know, the great Carol Marshall or Patty Ellis, who was at the time leading the ethics program at Raytheon, Nancy Higgins, um, Carrie Penman, you know, and so so there weren't a lot of us and we all sort of became a network together. And those women absolutely influenced me as I was just gaining more confidence, um, taking on more leadership at ERC. They became advisors to me. And now I think in my role, I absolutely have a heart for seeing more women um, rise up and succeed in leadership roles. And now increasingly, we need more diversity in general, um, beyond just gender. But I certainly, and I also have been very interested in seeing ERC do a lot more research around what is the influence of gender and um, how do people hear the tone of the top from the top differently if the leader is a male or a female, those kinds of things. So, um, you know, I just think my gender has been a part of who I am and how I think and how I have made decisions in my life. But certainly I have been gratified to see more women coming into leadership roles in our field. Yeah, and I do think that more women have come into the, this field over the years. There are discussions I've had, Mary and others, about you know, how that happened, or was it because in some organizations, women were more pushed that way versus what they wanted. But I think the other question now, too, you just really you know hit on it, is diversity outside of just gender. Um, and that's something that I think is you know critically important and something that I think 
we'll talk a little bit more about later when we talk about impact, because there were some real interesting discussions about you know, race, gender, diversity um, in general. But I do think that it, you know, the continuing evolution does impact it in that way and in many others. Um, <clears throat> do you think that as a CEO, do you feel, I know as women in leadership, but in CRO and the leadership role, it impacts you in any other unique ways? I definitely um, find myself with lots of opportunities. One of the things that I, a little bit of background, one of the things about ECI is that we do work with um, individual organizations that are looking to strengthen their cultures, that are trying to look at the effectiveness of their ethics and compliance programs and improve them beyond the work that we do with our membership and research. And so I, I find that I have a lot of opportunities where I'm walking into C-suites in corporations or you know, the equivalent in government agencies or other industries where there are not a lot of women. And I, I would say that that's probably one of the ways that I, I do notice that I am a female in a unique circumstance. Um, I think, though, for me as a CEO, one of the things that is unique about ECI is we're a nonprofit organization. So being a CEO of a nonprofit is different from being a CEO. There's some things in common, but it is different from being a CEO of a corporation. Um, but, yeah, I think that there, there are always challenges and pressures and um, moments where I'm challenged to speak with candor, to show courage that I don't know if it's my personality or my gender, but are kind of a, a step out of my comfort zone for myself. And those, are, I think, are the moments where I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm glad I have learned what I've learned along the way in our field. And I've been coached by a lot of women who have talked to me about how at least for them and for me as a female, it's not my natural tendency to sort of be a bold speaker, a person who makes tough calls, a person who is speaking truth to power sometimes when the folks I'm talking to can be intimidating. Um, and I suppose those are the moments where I'm more aware of my being female in a field that is still largely dominated by men. Yeah, I, I, I see that as well. I think um, it's a challenge. I remember one of our early podcasts with um, Stephanie Davis, who is um, at Volkswagen and she's the North American chief compliance officer. She was talking about, you know, feeling very other in the room. And it took her a long time to start thinking that everybody else is feeling sort of outsider like in some way, shape or form and how mm -hmm. to bring that in to trying to make yourself feel comfortable. That's a piece of advice that I try to take for myself all the time. Um, yeah. I nobody remember there, there was one, I was delivering a presentation to the top 100 executives in this one corporation. And the top 100 executives um, was comprised by 99 men and one woman. And so, and it was very obvious. I'm standing on this stage, I'm talking to the sea of people, and there was only one female in the audience. And after I finished the presentation, there was a reception, and I kind of slipped out to go to the ladies' room, and, and she was in the ladies' room. And I just remember commenting to her, I'm surprised to see 
that you are the only female in the room. And she was telling me how that was kind of the norm for her industry. But then she said, I come in here when I want to be alone. And we just kind of laughed about, you know, the irony of being the only female, but also the real challenge of that. It's not just in our field. I think it's in business in general that to rise to the top in an organization, you have to make a lot of tough calls. That's true for men too. But I think a lot of women, um, you know, there are just some industries where it's it's exceptionally hard to, to be in a leadership role. I'm not so sure how much that's the case in our field, but it's certainly there are a lot of trade-offs. You have to work very hard and maybe harder than a lot of other groups. Um, and and so, you know, it's it's never an easy choice. Yeah, especially since we're often delivering news that isn't directly going to be considered like a great triumph or in, you know, in a for-profit or in a company, a lot of what we're doing is mitigating risk. So it's not coming in with a big sale or something splashy or exciting. You've avoided something that may be splashy and not exciting to see in the news. So you have the challenge of working on that day to day. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So with that in mind as well, we've talked about it, but let's talk a little bit about ECI. Um, for those who are listening who may not know about ECI, um, what you do, and and then, you know, you guys have so many interesting research um, projects. Um, I was hoping you could kind of talk about some of the things that have been exciting to you lately. Sure, I'm happy to. So the ECI, I, I mentioned this a minute ago, but we are a strategic alliance of two nonprofits. We're actually an alliance of the two nonprofits that really were um, the essential to the creation of the ethics and compliance industry, the oldest organizations in our field, arguably, at, at least as nonprofits. Um, and so as a result, the one part of us is the Ethics Research Center, which is has a mission to field research studies to help leaders understand the practices that are most effective in not only establishing effective ethics and compliance programs, but also building and sustaining strong ethical cultures, the kinds of cultures that we, through our research, have really been able to show are, are the best influence on employee conduct in an organization and mitigation of of risk when it comes to non-compliance. The other part of us is the Legacy Ethics and Compliance Officer Association. When we created our alliance, we dropped the O, so it's the Ethics and Compliance Association. Um, And it is the membership organization for companies and uh, government agencies and nonprofits that are interested in being part of a best practice community that's that are you know of peers that are dedicated to having the best possible ethics and compliance programs that they have. So our work kind of falls into a couple of different camps. We we continue to do research that the ERC um, historic ERC has been known for for decades. Um, we have as a traditional association, we host events for our members and for folks that are a part of our industry that are not a part of our membership. We have a certification for people that are interested in demonstrating that they have the knowledge and skills to lead an ethics and compliance program. Um, And taken together, what that helps us to do is to be able to leverage the research work that we do to have metrics for our, our members 
community to make use of, to gauge how they're doing with their programs, um, to make adjustments where they need to. Also for ECI to be able to provide assistance to individual organizations if they need that um, in terms of looking at their programs or, or measuring and improving their cultures. So I, 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 the things that we're doing right now, there are a number of things that are just exciting to me about what is happening with ECI. One thing that I know we're gonna talk about um, is our global business ethics survey. That's a research study that's been going on a long time. We just released the most recent report, but we're always in a cycle with GDES of looking at what are the emerging issues? How do we try to get our arms around what leaders need to know about those issues and how they can prepare and adjust their ethics and compliance programs to address that. Um, in terms of our membership community, over the years, we've developed a framework called the High Quality Program, uh, High Quality Ethics and Compliance Program Framework, that essentially is a collaborative effort by the ENC profession to identify the practices that really go beyond the minimum standard and are indicative of a highly effective program. And our community is increasingly making use of an assessment tool that our members have helped us create um, to look at the maturity of their ethics and compliance programs and then to leverage our community to talk with peers about how they can improve. Um, and then we always have a series of working groups that are comprised by our members on special topics, one in particular that's of interest to me, and it goes back to something we were talking about just a minute ago, but um, shortly after George Floyd was so tragically killed, we said, put out a public statement, like a lot of other organizations, just speaking to the horror of the whole situation, but we put out a call to our industry and said, we feel that it's important to not just make a statement, we need to look at what can we be doing as an industry when it comes to racism, discrimination, and the abuse of power, both in our workplaces, in our community, but also in our profession. And so we have a working group that is ongoing that's looking at all those dimensions and what we can be doing as ENC professionals to address that. And it's exciting work. Um, the working group will be putting out reports in the next couple of months and over probably the next year. Um, and if anybody's listening and wants to join it, we still are welcoming new folks to be a part of that. Well, um you know, I, I have to say one of the things that uh, has inspired me to become a part of ECI is the opportunity to get involved in that, because that's something that for um, and, you know, listening last week or you know two weeks ago on the um, at impact, which we'll talk about in a second. But that particular work stream in those areas are just something that I think for us, we can as a community really impact good ethical decision making and improving organizations and making sure that we have the right people at the table. So I think it's really great. I'm so excited to keep learning more about that. And that was one of my takeaways and excitements about um, impact in ECI. And I think it's a really interesting project among many that you all are doing um, well, just to continue you. with diversity. 
So thank you for saying that. I, one of the things that I just admire about the ECI board and the staff is that they're willing to take on hard topics and to say hard things. And, you know, I, I was proud of us when we've issued statements following the incident in Charlottesville, following the incident involving George Floyd, but also our willingness to just say, okay, now what do we do to actually, it can't just be all talk, we need to be action. And to my knowledge, no one has ever really looked hard at our industry to say, where are we in terms of racism, in terms of discrimination, in terms of our ability to allow anyone of any background to enter our field and be given opportunities to succeed. And so, so that's, that's going to be an interesting thing when we come out with a report and probably say and reveal some hard things to our own industry, but, but I'm proud of us for doing it. And I'm hoping that we're going to be an agent of change. Well, I, I hope so too. And I think one thing, one person I would just want to mention as we're talking, when we talk about a lot of great women in compliance, but one of the men that I consider one of the great supporters of women in compliance and great men in compliance is, uh, is Matt Packman, who had really introduced me to ECI and all of you. So I every so often, I like to give a shout out to some of the, the men who really have tried to do the right thing for us. And as you're talking about this and your other work streams, what he was, you know, just one I wanted to just sort of mention quickly. Absolutely. And Matt Packman <clears throat> was a part of the ECOA board. He was instrumental in creating our strategic alliance. He, he, of course, has had a huge impact on our community and how we thought and a huge supporter, just a great friend and mentor to me, too. So totally support the shout out. Yep. Had to do it here. So I think with that, too, I mean, switching, we're going to switch on to a little bit to talk about impact. Um, we're going to talk, you know, spoiler alert, as I mentioned earlier, a bit more in part two. But for right now, um, I just would like to talk um, about the uh, GBS trend, GBES Trends Report, um, the culture of ethics and compliance. Um, and I noticed in that report um, that some of the components, um, you know, in that impact really did focus on that. So I wanted to just have you talk a little bit about the culture of compliance and how you, you know, addressed it both in impact and in the trends report. Sure. Uh, we have, if after all these years of doing our research through the Global Business Ethics Survey, if we've learned one thing, it is that the power of culture cannot be overstated. Um, and, and that is something that we've, we tested every year when we do GBES and every year we come back saying, if you're not paying attention to culture as a part of your ethics and compliance program or somewhere in your organization, if it doesn't live in ENC, you're missing a huge area of risk. Um, and so this time around, when we did our GBES research, we continued to see that you know, the stronger the culture, the, the bigger the difference it is on employee conduct. There is like a 467% difference in um, the likelihood that employees are going to behave in all the ways that we want them to in ethics and compliance when you have a strong culture versus a weak culture. And so, so in this most recent GBES release, that was certainly something that we continued to report on. Um, the, the report that we just released was, um, was spoke to trends. Every couple of years through the GBES research, we, 
we just update what are we seeing over time? Where have there been changes? One of the hardest things about the trends report this time was that while culture strength, the percentage of people around the world who say, I work in a strong ethical culture, um, you know, it didn't it didn't decrease, but it also didn't increase. Only one in five employees that we surveyed said that they work in a strong ethical culture. And since we know that culture is so powerful, that's a worrisome trend. Um, and so, so there, around the world, more organizations are implementing ethics and compliance programs, but they don't seem to be moving the needle on culture. So that says to us, we need to do more to help people understand what do we need to do with our programs? What do we need to do with our leadership to influence culture? Um, and so one of the things about ECI is that when we see those kinds of trends in our research, we have opportunities through our membership community to then provide events and training and resources to try to help our community focus on those things. So the impact conference, was a direct outcome of what we were seeing in trends around the world. So a very big piece of the impact agenda uh, was having speakers talk about how do we strengthen culture? How do we understand culture? Um, and then we, we do our best in these events to help people rally together and be able to talk candidly about what's going on in their own programs. So actually, that is a perfect spot for me as we conclude the first part of our discussion, um, the candid discussions and everything else. What would be your one piece of advice to a woman who, who attended her first ECI conference and came out there newly inspired to build her ENC career? What would you be your like first gut, you know, gut instinct advice to say, what do you do next? One of the first things I would tell women to do is find a mentor. Um, and, and it can be somebody, it could, it's best if it's somebody in our field, but if there is a leader, a woman in business in general, in your industry that you admire who for their character, for their skills, um, connect with them and talk with them and ask them questions. Because I think in my own career, having that mentor experience was huge. And I would encourage women to do the same. That sounds great. And I will say one can reach out to so many different women in the field and other fields. And I think that you find mentors and advocates everywhere. So I would, I completely agree with you on that. And um, thanks so much for the first half of this um, for all the listeners. Uh, stay tuned for part two next week. And on behalf of Mary and the Compliance Podcast Network, Great Women in Compliance, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.